Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Tim Kellis with us here today, who is a renowned Wall Street analyst, takes on what is con- may be considered society's biggest problem today, divorce. The journey that led him to tackling such a significant issue was both personal and professional. After a successful career that eventually landed him on Wall Street, Tim met with what he thought was the girl of his dreams, only to see the relationship end with bitterness and anger. The journey included work with a marital therapist, and after he discovered the therapist wasn't really helping, he decided to tackle the issue himself. Tim, welcome and thank you so very much for being here today. Jesse, thank you very much. I can't thank you enough for giving me an opportunity to, to share on your podcast. Tim, I'm excited. And you and I have had some fascinating conversations thus far. And I'm really excited to dive into this because it's, I, and you'll, I'm sure you have the updated numbers. And so please correct me if I'm off. But I think pre-COVID, the statistics were something like 51, 52% of marriages in the United States ended in divorce. The second marriage was 65% and third marriages was a 76% probability to end in divorce. And that was pre-COVID when we all had the opportunities afforded to us of in of a 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. and a 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. relationship where we have a break in our days from our partners. Now, during COVID, when we're stuck inside and around each other 24-7 without the the blissful circumstances of vacation, I can imagine that those numbers are going to probably increase. So I want to start with that about why is it that, why does it seem like we are, you know, and I find the irony of this is people get up, they celebrate in front of their friends, they take these sacred vows, and then all of a sudden they realize that maybe I don't like this person or it's just not working out. What happens between the time when somebody's dating, they say, oh, it's, it's great to get married. It's a great idea. And then over 50% of them end up getting a divorce. Well, first response is the statistic that I've seen is that divorce rate has increased by about 30% since the virus hit. Wow. But I want to ask a more fundamental question first. Imagine if 50% of our cars failed or 50% of our phones failed. If we had a failure rate of 50% in any other industry on the planet, that industry would come to a screeching halt. Why do we just take it for granted that 50% of marriages are gonna fail? That's the thing that really fascinates me. But here is, so the, 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 the way I describe love, is love is vulnerability, okay? And vulnerability is the fear of getting hurt. And when you meet your match, as I say, and I have a whole conversation about what that means psychologically, what motivates us to find another human being to be part of our life, somebody to fall in love with. But when you meet your match, at the beginning, it's, it's in the psychology world, it's called the false facade. You put your best foot forward, as you should. You're trying to impress each other, right? But what couples have not yet figured out, and this is what I focus on when I work with couples, is the dark side, the shadows, okay? How do you bring up your shadows, your bad experiences throughout your most, you know, the biggest influence on your marriage is your relationship with your parents. And 
And when you understand the significance of that influence, then you really know where to go to, to really focus your attention on what the source of the problem is, unless you're molested as a child. That's the, the sidebar on something else that happens to you at your childhood that is outside of the relationship with your parents. But those two things are the biggest problems in relationships today. And the issue is, is it a judgment-free zone for you both to be able to bring up uncomfortable topics? Because these aren't fun to talk about. You know, I was molested as a kid. I mean, how, who, <laughs> who enjoys talking about that over the dinner table, right? I mean, and so that is, in fact, it's called the repression mechanism, which ironically is the same, is the, both Freud and Jung, if anybody knows who Carl Jung is, there's a whole other conversation, but both Freud and Jung, independent of each other, discovered the repression mechanism. And that's when we have a negative experience that we don't deal with. We just put it upstairs in the attic of the unconscious and we don't deal with it where it sits to wreak havoc on our lives, on our everyday lives. And so here's, here's the way I would, I would first look at your question. Don't you find it interesting that couples argue on vacation? Think about that. That they do argue or they don't argue? You go on vacation with your spouse or Christmas. You know, my parents fought every Christmas. My mom would spend so much money on Christmas, yet it was a miserable experience. They fought every Christmas. Okay. And the reason for that is you get out of your routine. You know, your humorous discussion, we have a relationship from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. and then from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. That is the routine. Okay. We get in, in fact, my parents' routine is they come together at night, they'd eat dinner, they'd fight, they'd sit down and watch television, not talk to each other for the rest of the night, and they go to bed. Television's the best therapy because you don't talk to each other. But obviously the point I'm making is when you go on vacation or Christmas or COVID, your routine changes. And now guess what? Now you have to talk to each other. And that's why you get into why communication breaks down and what to do about it. Communication breaks down because of unresolved conflicts. The reason why relationships are successful is because couples get along. The reason why relationships are unsuccessful is because couples don't get along. Okay, how's that for a brain surgeon comment? That is about as simple as you can make it, but that's the truth. So when you understand the impact of conflict resolution on your relationship, that's the biggest thing I teach people is to be conscious and to focus on that. You know, just like, in, and I, I love the analogy about you and I being business partners. So you and I are now business partners. And I'm the accountant and you want to buy a $5,000 computer and we don't have the budget for it. Okay, how are we going to solve that problem? As business partners. Obviously, you and I don't have a romantic relationship. So we don't have the anxiety that we have in our culture today of the fears that are all included now that you know you fall in love with somebody but you and i are business partners the way that we solve that problem is you have to understand my perspective and i have to understand your perspective how simple is that you know you know that you and i are business partners we're going to cut we're partnership you have your skill set i have my skill set that's what the solution to the marriage problem is equality which means you can't tell me that you're buying a five thousand dollar computer and i can't tell you no we have to figure it out. We have to roll up our sleeves, you know, turn off the telephone, 
we're going to sit down and we're going to figure this out. Tim, I and wanna, when we understand each other's perspective, then it becomes really simple to do. I want to expand on equality. I think that's such an interesting place to go because I think at least my perception of, and especially as we record this in 2021, equality is one of those words that we hear, we hear equality and fairness. We hear often. We hear it in political discussions. We hear it in personal discussions. We reference different acts and moments in history. And I find that at marriage, marriage ceremonies I've attended, even the vows seem to imply equality amongst one another. Yet what I'm hearing from you is there is this inequality in how people show up. And is that inequality, is it behavioral? Is it, is it psychological? Is it emotional? Is it, is it because of a fear of being judged? Is it because they're carrying some sort of past trauma or hurt? Can you just expand on that a little bit? And again, the first response is, remember, you and I are business partners. There's no emotional relationship here. So it's an easy conversation. Okay, you just hit it on the typical world, word, and that's fear. Before I expound on this, let's, let's look at this historically speaking. Uh, the Chinese have a saying that history is a mirror. If you want to understand yourself today, if you want to look in a mirror today, you understand history. Okay, one of the things, I have an engineering background, and one of the things that engineers are taught to do is they're taught to find out what has changed to cause a problem, okay? Before the 60s, I think you and I may have talked about this in one of our first conversations, because you, I think you understand the historical the divorce rate, but before the 60s, it was in the single digits, okay? So what has changed? Obvious, education and employment of women. It's important to understand that that is new for thousands of years, how long has the Catholic Church been around, right? I think 2,021 years or whatever, right? 2,000 years. The church is patriarchy. We all know that. First page of the Bible, the wife will obey the husband, okay? In fact, one of the books that I use is called The End of Patriarchy. It, cites that, it states that there's fourth and final phase. The child was the first one in charge. Remember, we all have mom and dads. We all have parents. That's the only, the only thing everybody on the planet has in common. We all have parents, right? So the first was in charge was the child, okay? Long, long time ago, no consciousness. The woman was the first one to wake up when she discovered that her child was not a beast of burden, but a bundle of joy, feelings were discovered. And it was matriarchy. Adam and Eve were not the first psychological human, I mean, biological human beings on earth. Adam and Eve were the first psychological human beings on earth. Adam and Eve were given the ability to think. They, Adam and Eve discovered irrigation in Mesopotamia 8,000 years ago. And that's what the story of the Garden of Eden uh, celebrates, is the invention of irrigation and the significance of that on the development of civilization. It's the first great invention other than the wheel and fire, was now we can grow crops and we can feed other than our family. And that's what all civilization uh, grew from. So the tree of knowledge, they developed knowledge, the ability to think, okay? And the other thing that was given to Adam and Eve, they discovered they were naked. They were given the ego. Ego is Latin for I, that's all it means. We're trying to figure out how to balance the ego. And we've literally been doing that for thousands of years, okay? But we've been doing it with the church telling us the man's in charge. One of the things that I've realized, and I explain this, is it's easy to understand when you're the one being controlled. 
Okay, you're going to take a $100 computer, uh, Jesse, and there's nothing you can do about it. I'm now controlling you. That's damaging for you. Damn it, I wanted, I needed, I got, but what you don't realize is it's also damaging for me because now I have to control you. I got to keep my thumb on you, right? And so when there's a relationship where one's in charge, there's an imbalance in that relationship that never gets, it gets balanced. Because remember, we're talking about balance here, Okay. And in fact, the problem with the, the psychology industry and your question about behavior, the only equality that I've read in the two dozen relationship books I read as part of my research was behavioral equality. You do the dishes half the time and your spouse does the dishes half the time. Quality is, is the exact opposite. You do what you're good at and your spouse, <laughs> excuse me, your spouse does what he or she is good at. That's equality where there are no distinctions, there can be no superiority. Perfect equality affords no temptation for abuse or control. If you were to canvas unsuccessful relationships in this country, I will not say 100% of them, but I will say pretty darn close to 100% of them are unsuccessful because of control. One or both are trying to control the relationship. That is what we're trying to figure out how to neutralize. Neutralize the power drive. Before it was defined, the man was in charge, the man was responsible for the finances, the man was responsible for the thinking. The woman was subordinate, she was responsible for the emotions, she was responsible for raising the kids and the environment in the house. Those were clearly defined roles where the man knew what he was supposed to do and the woman knew what she was supposed to do. And the change, we all know change is difficult. It, equality is mental equality. And mental equality means I get to think and feel and my wife gets to think and feel. But the background is that I only thought and she only felt. And so we now have to create a relationship where we both get to go into uncharted territory. Okay. In fact, I'm not gay, not that there's anything wrong with it, because I am developed, as Jerry Seinfeld so famously said, because I am developing an emotional side. In 1970, less than 1% of all law and medical degrees went to women. By 1990, that number was over half. Women are just as educated as men are. The biggest hole in our culture of marriage today is an emotional guy. That is still considered a weakness. I am not weak if I have feelings. But as long as our culture continues to promote the masculine, I don't feel, I only think, I'm in control, as long as we promote that as an asset instead of a liability, we're going to continue to teach our boys that feeling is, is a negative. It's a not. It's, it's, a, it's a way for us to expand into a territory that we've never done before in the history of human civilization where men get to feel and women get to think in the relationship. Tim, let me just, and so we, we arrive at the 1960s. I want to try to summarize this and then we can expand and then I'm going to come back to control. We arrive at the 1960s. We have single digit divorce rate and we're talking specifically United States, right? Just as a point mm -hmm. of reference. And then all of a sudden now we have women going to work, they're getting educated. And so the dynamics change. We're used to have a maternal figure at home raising children, paternal figure is a breadwinner providing food shelter. And which is still very much akin to our, our 
ancestors of meeting survival needs, animals pursuing basic survival needs, right? Now all of a sudden that evolves and women are going and getting educated, being able to work. And so it sounds like that society evolves in a way that allows women to take on these roles that would normally be attributed to survival needs. And then men have not allowed themselves to evolve or at least acknowledge that emotional component of themselves. Which Absolutely. is so fascinating because the premise of marriage is love, right? Which is ultimately one of the most pure, strong, intense, whatever vernacular we want to describe it, emotions. And yet men, because of that masculine male perception, you know, got to be the Marlboro man or the tough cowboy or whatever it is, are taught to suppress it, withhold it, not show it, whatever that is. And so now you have, and it seems like what's happening is because of these two kind of factors arising in the 60s, whereas coupling should be a coming together and growing together, what's happening now is a coupling coming together, but then they realize, wait, we're, we're growing apart. Mm-hmm. And it seems almost specifically that women are accelerating at a rate that men are not able, or at least they're not I don't want to say not able, but they don't feel like they don't have the capacity right now, or they don't have the training or the teaching, whatever that is to keep up to the, the, the ascent that women are on. Well, that's, well, that's absolutely right. And, and that is the point is we don't like asking for directions. Okay. Mm-hmm. If we've, if we're not evolving, which is what we're supposed to be learning to do, and we're supposed to be learning to evolve together as a couple, then we're stuck in place and I don't develop an emotional side. Okay. That's why one of the biggest problems you have in relationships is guys shut down. In fact, it's one of my favorite Carl Jung quotes. Fear manifests itself in personified form with the irrationality of a man's feeling and a woman's thinking. And so what Jung is saying with that quote is men shut their emotional side down and women shut their logical side down when the relationship's not working. This is where the communication breaks down. Where's little Johnny going to school? It's one of my favorite uh, uh, analogies that I use to demonstrate the point. Where's little Johnny going to school? What's the man going to address? The cost. What's the woman going to address? The nurturing environment of the school. Okay. So if you and your spouse get into a fight over that, where you're going to defend your position at all costs, and your partner's going to defend his or her position at all costs, you're going to be more, if it's the guy, more logical, can't afford it, okay? The woman's going to be more emotional. But little Johnny needs this, you know, nice environment. And the more logical the guy gets, the less logical the girl gets. And the more emotional the girl gets, the less emotional the guy gets. There's only a finite amount of logic and emotions in a relationship. If you monopolize one, you don't give your partner the opportunity to open up in that area. Mm. In in fact, because here's here's the thing. Here's the easiest way to think about this. Your wife comes home from work, had a bad day at the office. One of her friends really upset her. She's She's all complaining. I had a terrible day, right? What's a man's natural response? Don't let it bother you. Logical. That's not why the woman is doing that. In fact, the reason why girls have girlfriends is because they can't have an emotional relationship with their man, so they have to find it elsewhere. A woman's doing that because she wants to be in that emotional state, because that's where you know women are better at that. And again, I'm a guy trying to figure it out from my perspective on what that means to be in their shoes 
and to think of how emotional they are, it's hard for me to do because I'm not a woman. But in my effort to try and reflect on that, the emotional state of a woman in all emotions, they're better at it than I am. Okay. In fact, if a guy were to allow himself to be emotional, he could learn from his wife. Let his wife teach him to be emotional. And I don't say it in detail because it gets me in trouble, but women have to understand the reverse of this conversation on the way to be able to re relate to their man. Because it can seems clarify, like an insult. Can you clarify what it means to be emotional? I just, I want to make that distinction clear. Feelings. Feelings. It's all, you can't logically discuss happiness or anger or sadness. You just know it's an emotion. In fact, what's so fascinating about your question is emotions are unconscious. Feelings are conscious. So if you're a happy person, okay, I don't walk, I, I'm a happy person, but I don't walk around saying to myself, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. That's an unconscious belief, an unconscious belief that I have, but my feelings are accordingly. You got to understand the effect of, of the difference between our character traits are what causes behavior. That, that's a that's something that that's new the industry has never figured out what causes behavior because of the biology theory but that's one of the things that are new things that i'm introducing to to society that understanding what causes behavior is your belief system okay and you know that you just talked about that but understanding the relationship between your your character traits and your behaviors so now we're focusing on our beliefs not our behaviors this is where the psychology industry with its you know almost unilateral focus on behaviors misses the point Telling somebody not to behave a way that they're, they're not doing it to begin with without understanding why they're not behaving that way to begin with is very shallow logic. There's no, really no logic to giving behavioral advice. You gotta understand why somebody does or doesn't do what they do. Again, the question why? Why is the most powerful question in a relationship, why? You keep asking that question, eventually you'll get the answer to it. But feelings, you know that, go eat some ice cream. Go get your ice cream out of your freezer right now. Feel what you're, I love chocolate ice cream. Chocolate crunches, you know, the feelings I get when I eat chocolate, you know, or fall in love. The most fascinating thing about this dialogue is men do feel at the beginning, right? Think about your, your relationships that have been successful. You felt, right? You bought her flowers, you complimented her, right? You developed feelings for her. But the fork in the road is conflicts. That is your question that you ask. That's the answer to your question. So you and her fall in love. You guys are all in that glorious state. You're getting to know each other. You're doing what I call character research at the beginning. One of the problems, the big problems I have with our focus on behavior is you fall in love with somebody's character. You fall out of love because of somebody's behavior. Mm. Because of the focus on behavior, we don't, we lose sight of the, reason for the behavior i'm dealing with a couple now where the husband works all of the time that it's causing a problem in their marriage okay i'm trying to get her now again and the answer isn't for him to work all the time but it's causing arguments in their marriage so if she were to understand that he is a breadwinner he feels pride at working hard he's building something for his family that's his character but when you focus on the behavior, he didn't get home until three in the morning because he's out working all night. That is looking at the behavior. You lose sight of the person you fell in love with when you focus on behavior as opposed to, as opposed to character. I love that. Our founding father's character was important. They were men of character. That's why this country was created. It was because it was created by men of character. We've lost sight of that. 
And I do put a big focus on that because of the psychology industry's unilateral focus on behaviors, not the causes of the behaviors. I love that distinction, fall in love because of character, fall out of love because of behavior. And it goes without fail, whether you are talking with somebody professionally, you're sitting down talking with your, your buddy, one of your girlfriends. When we hear people talk about their relationship woes, it always starts out with he or she just doesn't do this. They do this, they do this, they don't do this. They used to do this, but now they don't do that. They do this more, they do this less. It, it, it always comes down to behavior and it's, and it's almost like creating this checklist of the do's and don'ts. Tim, you, I wanna come back to the control piece. Tim has this really awesome course, The Marriage Solution. And one of the things that you mentioned in there is that control arguments in relationships are a form of control. Of I wonder if you, you could expand on that a little bit because I, that was such a profound aha for me. Because it's funny, when we, when we engage in an argument with one another and we're in the moment, we think we're being attacked. We're not thinking about that. So as, as anytime when you're being attacked, what do you have to do? You either have to fight back or defend yourself. It's, it's typically one of those ways, right? So what am I going to do? Am I going to flee or am I going to run? Am I going to fight or am I going to defend myself? If I'm going to attack back, it's inevitably going to be along the same pattern. If I'm going to defend myself, what, what that looks like. But to hear it say that from a control, it was interesting because then I started to think back on previous relationships and arguments that would happen, some of the nasty ones. And inevitably in those moments, then you start to see it through this different lens of how that person was expressing some sort of fear or hurt they had mm -hmm. and ultimately exactly trying it. to get me to soften or come around to right. adjusting my behavior, my whatever, to meet and acknowledge their needs in that moment. Well, and, and that is the point. First of all, you and I as business partners, we had that, that analogy is a disagreement. That's logical. It's problem solving and it's forward looking. We're building our business forward. You need that computer to do something, right? Arguments are emotional, they're fault finding, and they're backward looking. This is the point, okay? And the follow up to that part of the, of the, of the workshop is the hierarchy of the argument. I break the argument down into component parts. It starts off with an insecurity, which is a fear and anxiety. Your parents got divorced, for example. I love that analogy because it collapses on everybody's mind on what that would do for us as children of divorced parents, particularly since so many of us, and I mean, my parents fortunately stayed married, okay? But I, you know, today in our generation today, there's parents and grandparents that started that the whole divorce culture, but quite honestly, because my parents were so poor, they couldn't afford to get divorced. If my parents had any money, they would have gotten divorced in a heartbreak because they fought every day. So your parents got divorced. Okay, that creates what I refer to as a relationship prejudice. Okay, this is something else that's new in the psychology industry. Our mental troubles are prejudices. Okay, there's no biological basis for our mental problems, depression, all that stuff. They're all prejudices that we have developed throughout our upbringing on what we have experienced personally about life that goes against common sense. Common sense is a huge barometer of our state of mind. If we have experiences that go outside of common sense, like your parents got divorced, 
So now you have a relationship prejudice. And the great thing about relationship prejudices is we have so much social prejudices that we could draw from, Martin Luther King. In fact, Martin Luther King was once asked what he thought was the problem in marriage. And his humble response is, oh, I don't know. I think they didn't know each other very well and are afraid. We have grown so fearful of marriage. That there, I, I was on a clubhouse conversation yesterday where they were discussing whether we should get married or not. There's a debate on whether we should even get married or whether we should continue. Because remember, marriage, love is vulnerability. Love is, and we're building this wall to protect ourselves higher and higher every year. Okay, the fear of getting hurt. It's not until we meet that person that we start breaking that wall down, but then through arguments, we start building that wall back up. But the point is, is that prejudice is then what leads to being judgmental, which then is what leads to anger. Exactly what you were just saying is what I do is I connect the dots between fear and anger, okay? You come home late for work. This is another great analogy I like, I like using. Okay, you come home late for work and your partner gets mad at you. Because the question that I have asked myself that literally took me years, years to figure out was how, how do I respond when I'm not really doing anything wrong, per se? You come home late for, yes, I mean, the thing that's interesting about that analogy is it's subjective. What is the right answer when you come home late for work? But the point is, is you come home late for work and your partner gets mad at you. Now, the caveat of this conversation is you are not out drinking with your buddies and not supposed to be doing that. If you're doing something you're not supposed to be, and then you come home and get in trouble, you don't have a clear conscience. Okay, then you really snap into fight or flight real easy, and that's when the argument goes and starts elevating. But if you were doing what you're supposed to be doing, this was the question that I have asked myself for years. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You got that call at 5 p.m. at the office. It took an hour. You just didn't think about calling your wife or husband. You get home and you're in trouble. How do you handle that situation? This is the crack that once people figure this out, this crack, once they go through this crack, their relationship changes in, in an unbelievable way. Once they answer this question, okay? Because the issue is you come home late for work and your spouse gets mad at you. Obviously, the way that, we're that we are trained fight or flight is defend yourself, right? I did this, and then she says, and he says, and he says, and he says, and goes back and forth, right? You're trying to prove you're right. Your partner's try trying to prove he or she right, is right, right? But the reality is, is your partner didn't get mad at you for coming home late for work. Has nothing to do with you coming home late for work. Has to do with fear of abandonment, low self-esteem, all of these issues from your past. So if couples could learn this one question, in fact, when I figured this question out, I laughed at its simplicity. You come home late for work, your partner gets mad at you. If you have an open objective mind and you realize you didn't do anything wrong, what are you afraid of? That question will change our culture of marriage forever. Okay, because for one thing, it pulls the conversation, because remember, she's emotional, or he's emotional now. Damn it, you come on late where you said you're going to be, right? It's emotional. And when you turn around and ask the question, what are you afraid of? It brings the conversation back into logical mode. And I can't tell you how many people I've taught that question to that when they ask their spouse that question, it brings the argument to a screeching halt immediately.
because now we're getting back into logical mode. And she's first going to, he's first going to say, well, because you're late. And so they're going to turn, and obviously their reaction to reflects is going to be to still continue to blame you. But then you ask the why. Okay. Remember, it's not me coming home late for work. That's not, there's, you're getting mad at me for coming. I mean, really, we get, in fact, one of, one of my favorite quotes I use in that, in that, if you recall that, that workshop, uh, you know, we have wisdom without a plan, legislation without law. This is, this is what I call chaos. Okay, it's my Thomas Paine quote from Common Sense from 1776. We can argue over anything. There are no ground rules in relationships today. Think about that. You can get mad at your spouse for anything because we've not created a foundation of how to handle conflict. It's, in, 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 but you also have to understand that this entire conversation is done unconsciously. Think about the last time you got angry. Okay, it's an unconscious thing. Somebody pissed you off. Somebody pulled in front of you and got, you know, when you get in that, that's an unconscious state. You are not at your senses. To argue without the use of reason is like administering medicine to the dead. Think about that for a second. Once you cross that line from logical to emotional, from disagreement to argument, because they all start as disagreements. You come home, home late for work. Okay, there's a disagreement now. Yeah, but I did this. Yeah, but you said this. Yeah, but this. And then all of a sudden, one gets to the, the, the point where they can no longer continue the logic. And then they say, screw it. They re respond emotionally, either fight or flight. You know, they just say, oh, Jesse, you're such a jerk. Think about now what is happening. You, you, you want a $5,000 computer? You're such an idiot. What do you mean? Now, where is our conversation going? That Notice how those conversations never take place in a business, you and I, I would never say, Jesse, you're an idiot. We're, we're, for one thing, now our, our partnership just now ended, right? You're gonna say, I'm not, I can't work with this guy. Just call, that's, that's, we, we need to learn how to deal with conflicts and relationships the, way, the same way we do with the rest of our lives. You don't do that to your friends. You wouldn't tell your friend you're an idiot, you know, and I know that you were joking with them, but, but in all sincerity, you would say you're such a jerk. I mean, this is not the way we respond in other aspects of our life. But because of the uh, emotional effect of fear in our relationships today, after 60 years of divorce, we're afraid of relationships now. Okay? But there's always pain before a child is born. This is a new horizon of marriage. This is what I have solved in this conversation on how to teach couples where nobody's in charge. There's no fear when you realize that nobody's in control. Okay, in fact, it's one of my favorite quotes, if you know who Eddie Vedder is, lead singer of Pearl Jam. Okay, it's a song called Hard Son. And the line from the song is, once I built an ivory tower so I could worship from above, but when I climbed down to be set free, she took me in again. And so what he's saying is he built an ivory tower so that he was better than his wife. And he imprisoned himself. And it wasn't until he climbed down from that ivory tower to be set free that they were able to see eye to eye and she took him in again. And then their relationship was, was set. Okay, if you realize what it does in your relationship to lower or eliminate the anxiety, 
when nobody's in charge, then you're taking on the world instead of taking on each other. And that's what you're supposed to figure out. Tim, we're coming up on our time. Where is the best place people can find and connect with you online? Sorry, I could talk about this stuff for hours. So, but so um, the easiest way is my email address, which is my name, Tim Kellis, K-E-L-L-I-S, at happy relationships, plural, dot com. Yes, I own that domain name. Tim Kellis at happy relationships.com. I also have, it's called The Marriage Support Group on Facebook. So go on Facebook, search The Marriage Support Group. You'll see a picture of a couple kissing. I've got almost 2,000 members there right now. So go and join me there. Okay, if anybody has discovered Clubhouse, my uh, name in Clubhouse is at Tim Kellis. So follow me on Clubhouse every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I do another Clubhouse call. Uh, in fact, I just crossed over 500 followers, and I've only been there for about a month. Clubhouse is this new, it's going to explode. It's the it's the next uh, social media app that's going to just completely change the whole social media. It's an audio-only app, so it's no video. There's no visual content to it. So it's only about content. And so that's going to be a huge way for people like myself to be able to get out and get this new message out to, to people. So join me on Clubhouse. Or, you know, Tim Callis is my name on Facebook. You can, people can always find me there as well. But the easiest way is to email me, Tim Callis at happyrelationships.com. Tim, and there's no need to apologize. I could talk about this stuff forever too. And I find this so fascinating <laughs> that it's, I, I hate having to wrap up. But I do want to be respectful of your time and the viewer listener time. In the 30 seconds, one minute we have less, I would love to leave people with an actionable. So there's a, there's a couple listening right now or somebody who's in a relationship right now who's in a marriage they're having a, a challenging and difficult time they have considered divorce they don't want to for whatever reason it is they still love the person what is taking in all that you've shared so generously today what is one action if you could give them one action to take that would be a positive step forward for them from today's conversation what would that be well let me let me give you two. First is remember the beginning such a fascinating time in everybody's lives when your life changed forever it's such a fascinating experience when you realize two people independent of each other both decide that they want to spend the rest of their lives together the beauty of that if you could bottle that time up and save it for a later rainy day but the second thing and the most important thing is make conflict resolution a conscious experience you and i are building up a business we're going to develop our policies and procedures of our business, right? This is how you want to do, this is what you're going to do in building a business. It's called policies and procedures and then finance. So instead of being reactionary, you come home late for work, your, your spouse gets mad at you. Instead of being reactionary, be proactive in conflicts. But there's two things about this. There's the today conversation, which is supposed to be logical, you come home late for work, your partner gets mad at you. What are you gonna do about it? Remember, we're looking forward. So that next time it occurs, we figure out how to do it. Sorry, honey, I, I forgot to call you. I'll call you next time, right? We've solved the problem. But it's so important to understand the influence of your past. What are you afraid of? And when we are, because what you described earlier, when the girls were trying to get you to conform to their insecurities, that's when you start losing yourself. Okay, 
The point is to take the subjectivity of the individual out of the relationship. And that's what you're trying to do. That's why if you keep it logical, you keep it common sense is the foundation of the conversation. We're going to do this proactively. We're going to handle conflicts. But you also have to understand the effect of fear. So why are you afraid of that happening? Okay, then we could solve the problem. So make conflict resolution a conscious effort. Imagine what your marriage would be like if you no longer argue. Imagine the peace and harmony in your marriage if you dealt with conflict civilly. Civil disobedience, one of the, the foundation of everything Martin Luther King did. You can disagree until the cows come home as long as you're civil about it. When you have disagreements instead of arguments, your relationship changes forever. Everyone, my goodness, is this going to be one you're going to want to rewatch and re-listen. Tim took us on an incredible journey about not just relate, marriage, but relationships in general and how we interact and treat with one another. Starting with asking that question, why? Why is it that, we, that it is tolerated and okay that we have over 50% failure rate in marriages, but if you imagine if you had a 50% failure rate in cars or phones, what would that do? We would, we would you know, Blow a gasket, I guess, to the first time <laughs> if it was that, if there was anything That's close exactly to it. And the marriages we allow for so much to look at the idea of what would your relationship be like if you didn't argue? To look at the idea of what would it be like if you were proactive in your discussions versus reactive? Looking at how you were using our fears and insecurities to perhaps control our partners. Asking ourselves, why am I getting upset? The why is behind, gosh, if you could learn. One thing, take one thing away from what Tim shared with us today. It's just using that beautiful word, why. How often do we ask our partners why? How often do we extend them the courtesy of a why before we just decide the what and the how? Man, wouldn't that be beautiful? It, it seems oftentimes that we extend perfect strangers more of the benefit of the doubt than we'll do our own partners. Yet these are the people that we've sworn a sacred oath and we've pledged our undevoting and dying love for, yet we won't extend them the courtesy of why. What I loved about what Tim shared today is through all of this and the, the going through and analyzing and understanding the behavior and looking at the differences between how we behave, what changed, everything else, it comes down to this fundamental piece that if you are in a relationship right now or you want to be in a relationship that was better than a relationship you were in before, there's hope. A lot of times people will think that there's not the hope the relationship can be better or be like it was in the beginning or that a relationship can ever improve because the last one was so bad. But what I get from listening in Tim, Tim sharing today is if you apply these fundamental principles that he lays out, if you follow the guidance that he outlines in his courses, in his teachings, in his books, there is hope that your relationship, not only hope, but the reality is available to you that your relationship can be as extraordinary as you want it to be. Tim, this has been an incredible opportunity to share the time with you today. I appreciate so much you sharing so generously with us today. Thank you. Jesse, and thank you too. My mission is to lower the divorce rate in this country. And I can't thank you enough for giving me a platform and an opportunity on your podcast to be able to share all this stuff. Let's, let's not take the, you know, marriage for granted any longer. Let's raise it in priority in our lives as opposed to where it is today, which is at the bottom of the list. Thank you very much, Jesse. I appreciate the time. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everybody, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, 
or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts.